0: Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2. We'll read verses 1 through 21 and 37 through 42 as we remember this last great feast day in the church calendar year, Pentecost. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues As the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. They were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia in Egypt and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians. We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed, and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others, mocking, said, These men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, Be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose. Seen it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my Spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, And your old men shall dream dreams, and on My servants and on My handmaidens I will pour out in those days of My Spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then verses 37 to 42. Actually in verse 37, after Peter twice aims at their consciences and tells them, as we read in verse 36, that the Jesus who died, who rose again, who is the Messiah, they have crucified. They have crucified, and they interrupt his sermon. Their consciences are so overwhelmed. Now when they heard this, verse 37, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then said Peter unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort saying save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. May God bless the reading of his uh, amazing and wonderful word. Pentecost. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean? What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, you want to look at that with you tonight. From Acts 2, verse 4a, just these words, They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. So our theme tonight is being spirit-filled, being spirit-filled, which is something that you need, boys and girls, and you teenagers, you parents, and you seniors. This is critical, to be filled with the Spirit of God. So what does it mean? Five thoughts. Promised. We're going to look at how this feeling was Promised. Second, explained. We'll look at what this filling means. Third, needed. Why this filling is needed. Fourth, experienced. How do we experience it subjectively in our soul? And fifth, tested. How is this filling tested? How may we know that the Spirit is in us? Well... Reminds me of being in Brazil or Bali. I didn't think it would happen in Grand Rapids. but There are three feasts in Israel which every male had to attend once a year in Jerusalem. Each of these feasts were agriculturally significant. And each of them commemorated national events. There was the feast first of the unleavened bread, associated with the Passover, which was connected to the barley harvest. And it commemorated Israel's exodus from Egypt through the Red Sea. Then second, the male Israelite would have to go up to Jerusalem for the Feast of Weeks, which is called Pentecost, which means the 50th day. The word Pentecost means fifty. And that commemorates the giving of alms 50 days after the exodus in conjunction with the wheat harvest. And then there is the Feast of Tabernacles, which was a, a general harvest festival that commemorated the time Israel had spent in the wilderness in tents. So on Pentecost, the 50th day after the exodus, the Israelites brought their first fruits of the wheat harvest to God. And that was designed by God, no doubt, to typify the first fruits which would be reaped on the day of Pentecost, when 3,000 would be saved and brought into the doctrines of free and sovereign grace. So on that 50th day, what happened is that 120 of Jesus' disciples are gathered together in Jerusalem, waiting for the coming of the Spirit of Christ. Jesus told them He would send the Spirit, and now He does. And in John 14-16, through 16, He assured them that this Comforter would come and take all things of Jesus, and apply them and reveal them to His people and bring in a great spiritual harvest. The Spirit would reveal Christ to them in His fullness as Savior and as Lord. He would take the things of Jesus, convicting sinners of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. That was His promise. But also, The Spirit is promised by the Father from all eternity. The Father solicited the promise of the Son to come and die for sinners, but also the Holy Spirit that He would come and work in sinners, the redemptive work of Christ, applying it to their lives and to their souls. And so on the day of Pentecost, this finally happened. The Spirit suddenly came exactly on that 50th day to be the feast, to bring the feast of Christ to the nations, to spread the gospel from one tiny little land and a few individuals all around the world, to multiply the church times 21 from 120 to 3,120 and by Acts 8 to 20,000 people, which were a lot of people in the world's population. Of that day. This is an amazing, amazing event. And so, from our perspective in our day, it's hard for us to get our arms around how mega this day was in the church of Christ. It was, in a way, like the day of resurrection Jesus is alive. This is amazing. Jesus is alive. Astonishing. The validation of all of Christianity. But now, Christianity is no longer just a little little religion in a small pinprick on the globe. Now it comes in all the languages and goes to all the people groups and it's going to go around the world to all the nations. Praise God for Pentecost. Praise God for the fulfillment of His promises. The Spirit comes suddenly. It's all of sovereign graciously. It's all according to the promise of God. He comes suddenly, like the sound, boys and girls, of a mighty rushing wind. Now, it doesn't mean it was a literal wind, but it was a sound like a wind, like a great windstorm, and tongues like of fire. They weren't physical. Tongues of fire. But it looked like that, you see. The wind and the fire were symbols of the coming and the work of the Holy Spirit. And then the Bible says, and that's our text tonight, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. That really is the grand apex text of this glorious feast of fulfillment that we call Pentecost. And being filled with the Holy Spirit they stand up and especially Peter preaches to the multitude some thinking that they were drunk because they were so filled with the Spirit and speaking the words of God and declaring the name of Jesus. And Peter says no, no, no. We are not drunk. It's about the third hour of the day. It's just nine o'clock in the morning. No one's been drinking. We are bringing to you the fulfillment of the promise of God. The words of Joel. Your young men shall see visions. Your, your, your women shall dream dreams. God is doing a great and a mighty work on the earth. And he does it, you see, in 3,000. Everyone's an individual. Which is wonderful. When God does that work in you and with me. But here it's 3,000 at once. And yet every single, every single individual wrought upon by the Holy Spirit is a, is a mini revival, if I may use that word in quotation marks, because our soul is revived and we are raised, as it were, from the dead, from the valley of dry bones and the, the breath of the Spirit is breathed upon us and, and we gain flesh, as it were, and we live and we stand up as a soldier of Jesus and go forward. Oh, what a glorious thing this is. Eternal life to us Gentiles. And almost every one of us is a Gentile. We are recipients today, sitting here, standing here, of this glorious event of Pentecost. This week we were in in North Carolina. And uh, quite frankly, I was kind of overwhelmed with all the addresses I had to give there, and none of which I'd ever done before, and it, it just was... It was was heavy. But on the first day, I got cheered. A boy came up to me. He was 13 years old. And uh, he said, Dr. Beeky, I've wanted to meet you for five years. He was 13 years old. I wanted to meet you since I was eight, he said. I was reading through those series of books that you and uh, someone else wrote. Diana Klein wrote. And he said, When I was eight years old, I read through the first three volumes. And they were good stories, and I liked them a lot. But I I, I needed a Savior for my soul. I came to volume four, and I read three stories in that volume that changed my life. And I confessed my sin before God. And I was able to embrace the Savior. And He's become my Savior. And I've wanted to tell you ever since. I'm so happy I can tell you. And he was so sincere, so full of Christ. Actually, I talk, he came up to me four or five times. I kept talking to him. Finally, I just said to him, I said, do you feel like the Lord is calling you to the ministry? He said, well, I, I don't know for sure. I, I, I would love to study. I would love to study the Word of God, but I, I know I need to be called. I'm not sure yet. I said, well, if the Lord calls you, son. I said, you come to Purity Reform Seminary. If I'm still alive, I'd love to teach you. And you say, that kind of thing. Just in this boy. Stirred up my soul. But imagine if that happened to 3,000. All of a sudden, and everyone is talking to everyone else about what the Lord has done. In this language, in that language, in another language. We're hearing all these messages in the Word of God. It is speaking to us. And Peter is convicting them of sin. And and well, what happens? They interrupt this sermon. They, they, they just cannot help it. And they say... What shall we do? We've crucified the Messiah, the Lord of glory. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever been convicted that you've crucified the Lord of glory? Has the promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit ever been applied to you and the Spirit entered your life and changed you from within and gave you a new love and a new hatred? A hatred for sin and a love for Christ—it overwhelmed you. Maybe more gradually, maybe more suddenly, but you were wrought upon by the Spirit of God. Now, what does that mean, though? That's that's our second point. Explained. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, it's important. Here to understand the difference between being filled objectively with the Spirit, that is, a transfer of your state from death to life, and being born again. Everyone who's born again is filled with the Spirit objectively. From, and that will be point four in this sermon, experiencing the consciousness of that feeling. See, there's a difference. One may know more of that experience than another. But every believer, that's key, every believer is filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, what do we mean by that? And that's important that we understand this. Let me give you three thoughts here. First of all, when someone is born again, you receive the whole Spirit you receive the whole spirit not partial that was true even in the old testament age you see what happened in the old testament age is that the spirit of god the spirit of god came upon elizabeth luke 141 the babe leaped in her womb and elizabeth was filled with the holy ghost David was filled with the Holy Spirit. He said, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit. Luke 1, 67. John the Baptist, Luke 1, was filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, it's not something altogether new. What is new is that thousands were wrought upon simultaneously from all kinds of nations. That is new. And that is wonderful. That is astonishing. So the Holy Spirit of God doesn't get parceled out by God by little bits and pieces. You see, He gives the Holy Spirit. Our Heidelberg Catechism says, what comfort is it to you that the Holy Spirit belongs to you? And the answer is He's given to me to abide with me forever. So This is encouraging. This is astonishing. God gives His Holy Spirit to indwell every believer. Paul says to the Ephesians, you are filled with all the fullness of God because the Spirit indwells you. And where the Spirit indwells, Jesus said, the Father and I shall come to take our abode with you. Now that is an astonishing truth, to think that the Holy Spirit of God would indwell us Sinners, though we be. So that's the first thought. Keep that in mind. Now secondly, objectively again, when we receive the Holy Spirit, we receive in essence every spiritual blessing in Christ. Paul says it that way in Ephesians 1 verse 3. Believers are filled with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We may not be conscious of them all, that will, that will come in time. Again, that's point four of this sermon. But objectively, every blessing in Christ Jesus, all the blessings of the covenant of grace, all the blessings of salvation are planted in seed form in every believer. They all belong to every believer. Like Theodore Bezos said, when you tug at the necklace of all the benefits of grace and you can tug on one one pearl, there's a tug on all the rest. They all belong to you. Those whom he's predestined, he's called. Those whom he's called, he's justified. Those whom he's justified, he's sanctified. Those whom he's sanctified, he is glorified. Paul speaks of it in the past tense as if he's already in heaven because it's guaranteed, it's sure that every blessing of the Spirit accrues to every believer. That's why in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, you see, the fruit of the Spirit, it doesn't say fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, like you can have one and not have another. No, they're like a cluster. It's fruit, singular. It's a package. The Spirit of God is not only given to every believer, but in that giving, every blessing of salvation is given as well and thirdly what that means then is that once we are born again once we are transferred from death to life spiritually the spirit's grace is adequate to meet every single need every emergency every trial that can ever surface in our lives There's nothing too big for the Holy Spirit to do. That's what Peter is saying throughout this sermon. His grace is sufficient for everything. Everything. And so there are no hopeless cases, not only with the Holy Spirit, there are no hopeless circumstances in any case with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can save anyone. The greatest monster in iniquity the Holy Spirit can save. And so this is of immense encouragement. Immense encouragement. As one of the great glorious victories of Pentecost that God is declaring I will give my Holy Spirit to every believer and that believer will experience that this Spirit is sufficient for every need. Now, what you're going to say, of course, is, but if this is true, why then, why then are God's people so varied in the, in the measure of their faith? Why are there so many ups and downs also in the lives of God's people? Why are there so many ongoing sins and struggles in their lives? Is it God's fault that somehow the Spirit doesn't always get the victory? And that sometimes we, we, we stumble and we, we fall and we, we aren't what we ought to be. Well, you see, the point is this. When we're born again, we get that Holy Spirit, but we also have an old nature that seems to want to keep on attacking us and attack the work of the Spirit. And so, once we're born again, we become active, as the canons of Dort say, in sanctification. We are called to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. We are called to lean wholly upon the Spirit of God. We are called to live out of that Spirit and His abundance. We are called, Galatians 5 says, to walk in the Holy Spirit so that we don't fulfill the works of the flesh. But that can be a struggle. How to do that? A struggle against the old nature. But it's needed. It's a needed struggle. And we need the Holy Spirit, you see, in that struggle. If we're going to be more than conquerors through Him that loved us. So that's point three tonight. Needed. Needed. Why is this filling of the Spirit needed? Because, number one, you can't do anything without the Holy Spirit. But sin. We're sinners. You don't just stumble once in a while. We're sinners without the Holy Spirit. That's why we need to be born again. We need to be transferred from death into life without the Holy Spirit. Well, these 3,000 wouldn't even have their heart pricked. They wouldn't have repented. They wouldn't have believed. You see, Yes, we're called to repent. Yes, we're called to believe. But we can't give ourselves anything that we need. All our religion without the Holy Spirit is one huge sham. Only the Spirit can do what needs to have we need to have done in us. We need the Spirit. We need the application of the Spirit to our heart and to our life. So just as it is impossible... For anyone to be saved without the work of Christ on the cross, so it is impossible for sinners to be saved apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, taking the things of the cross and applying them to us so that's another reason why we need the Holy Spirit we 're dead we're like a dry wilderness, we're like a valley of dry bones. You see that's the beauty that's the beauty of that that boy coming up to me telling me there It was a radical change in his life. He he came alive. He, He saw his only salvation in Christ. It was the Holy Spirit that did that to him. And he knows that. And you see, every believer confesses that. It's the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of God who brought me from death to life. Now, that leads us then to our forethought. But how do we experience that subjectively? What does this mean? There's so much confusion on this today, isn't that true? The charismatics today um, speak of the filling of the Spirit and and, and different degrees and second blessings and all kinds of strange phenomena with with signs and, and speaking in tongues and what do we make of all that? Sometimes we get accused outside of our own churches. Of being a bit Pentecostal because we stress the experiential emphasis of the Holy Spirit. So, how do you understand this? Well, many churches today are so afraid of the Pentecostals and the Charismatics and their gifts and signs that they just resort back only to the objective. And they don't talk about the need to experience anything. It's just, well, here's the Bible. Just believe what the Bible says and you're saved. But that doesn't transform your whole life, does it? Some of you sitting here have never been born again, but you believe the Bible is the Word of God from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. You need to know salvation personally, of course. So here's the point. The Pentecostalists are wrong when they stress, you're really a higher Christian if you're speaking in tongues. Tongue speaking was just a temporary phenomena, so that God could spread the gospel around the world in short order and then complete the sacred canon so that this book we call the Holy Bible, and it's 66 books, also the 27 books of the New Testament... Could be canonized and declared, confirmed, attested by the church, so the church recognizes their inspiration. And we can say now we have the complete word of God. And that word we bring in every language, oh yes. But we don't look to the phenomena of tongue speaking or other special phenomena because we have something that's more than sufficient the Bible. Something that's bigger and better and more solid than human speaking in tongues. Let me give you a quick example of that. You know, Peter, in Matthew, I think it was Matthew 17, met with Jesus on, on the um, on the Transfiguration of the Mount, and and, and 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 met with Moses, and it was a it's a miraculous event, wasn't it? And Jesus shining in his bright uh, garments of transfiguration, and that was a wonderful experience, wasn't it? Amazing experience. Peter said, Lord, let's abide here. He didn't know what to say. He was speechless. Finally, he just kind of blurted it out. Let's abide here, Lord. Well, what does Peter say in 2nd Peter 1, 19 to 21? He says, having this sure word of God is more than what I saw on the Mount of Transfiguration. Having this Word of God is more than seeing Jesus while He was on earth walking in the flesh. Because now we have the whole counsel of God in the Word of God. So these special gifts, Paul says, they've ceased. They've ceased. And now I tell you a more excellent way. The way of charity, 1 Corinthians 13. The way of love. Loving the truth. Loving God above all. Loving our neighbors, ourselves. Loving the gospel. Hating sin. This is what we need. This is what we need to experience. So in one way, you see, Pentecost is unrepeatable. Because there's never going to be another revival where someone stands up and speaks in a whole bunch of different tongues to all different kinds of nations and and thousands get saved from that. The tongue-speaking part is the unrepeatable part. But that God can send great revival. And through his word, which is far superior to tongue speaking, can work mightily with his spirit upon thousands of souls. That's repeatable. And that's what we pray for, for revival, for God to do great things again in the earth. And so, when we have experience, Christian experience today, we don't connect that with tongue speaking we don't connect that with super supernatural kinds of things we don't experience earthquakes through it or or, or or special visions or no what the spirit does is he takes the things of christ and he presses them home on the conscience convicting us of sin emptiness of ourselves we call that experiential sense of our own misery And then He reveals the things of Jesus and shows us that Christ is everything for our salvation. Our all in and all. He's our justification. He's our sanctification. He's our total salvation. And we come to love Him. And we come to believe in Him alone for salvation. And we get converted, you see. Conversion is really repentance and faith. Repentance is one side of the coin of conversion. Faith is the other side. But together they make up conversion. And we live out of Christ. It's what we call deliverance. And then, well, then the Spirit works in us this passion to live a holy life, to live out of gratitude and thankfulness to God, to surrender all that we are to God. We call that gratitude. Misery, deliverance, gratitude. Those are the basic works of the Spirit in what you might call the normal conversion. Whether it happens slower, whether it happens quicker, this is the work of the Spirit. Now, that's the question. The question isn't, have you had some super, super natural experience or someone saved you through speaking in tongues? or No, no. Have you become a lost sinner before God? Have you found your life only in Christ? Does Christ change you? Are you a new creation? That you love Him and you hate sin and you yearn to live a life of gratitude to God? That is what's important. Now, that will come in your consciousness in different degrees by the work of the Holy Spirit. So what we need is the same thing as those disciples had, namely the filling of the Spirit in all His saving works and operations in our soul by which we experience misery, deliverance, and gratitude. Well, there are degrees in that. Some people experience more of that than others. If you have a pail of water, you can have a little water at the bottom. The pail can be half full or it can be full to the brim. And so subjectively... None of us have the degree of experience in this life that we say we're filled to the brim. At certain moments, we can be so filled, (laughs) we feel like our cup overflows. That's true. But you see, we always have more to experience. That's why Paul wrote to the Ephesians, Be ye filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, wait a minute, Paul. I thought you said they were filled. Yes, objectively. But subjectively. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Use the spiritual disciplines God gives for that consciousness of filling and and seek to ascertain more, seek to apprehend more of the blessings of Christ for your own soul. Be filled with the Spirit, Ephesians. And you see, that's where we we go to work in sanctification and we search the scriptures and we we depend on the Holy Spirit to, to fill us and to be conscious of that filling. So that we might become poor in spirit and mourn, mourn after sin and be meek and hunger and thirst after righteousness and become peacemakers and and all the beatitudes of the, of the, of the, that Jesus gave in Matthew 5. So what happens when the Holy Spirit works in us is He gives us, may I call it this, an eye in our soul, a soul's eye, a soul's eye in the midst of our need and in the midst of the conviction of our sin, to see that the Savior of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ, is sufficient for our every need, that He's come to save sinners. He's able to. He's willing to. He's mighty to save. And when we see that, whether it's more sudden or whether it's more gradual isn't the point. The point is that this becomes a reality. And we learn that there's no hope in me, no hope in my righteousness. All my hope is in Jesus Christ. That's the pouring out of the Spirit in your soul subjectively so that you see Him as the one you need, as the one who has everything you need, as the healing balm for all your diseases, as the hiding place for your protection against the wrath of God, as the only righteousness that can satisfy the justice of God. You see, it's all in Jesus. And your soul's eye is just filled with the things of Christ. Whose work is that? Did you give that to yourself? (laughs) No way. Would the devil ever give that? No way. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. You're emptied of your own righteousness. You're filled with the righteousness of Christ. And the Spirit, then, you see, leads you to see this not only, but to welcome this. To welcome this. Not just a soul's eye, but may I say it this way, a soul's welcome to this Christ. So that you become completely satisfied with Jesus. And that's when you you experience a conscious filling of Christ in the soul by the filling of the Spirit. And so when the Spirit really works, He makes Christ not only necessary, but He makes Christ beautiful and precious. Altogether lovely. And you say... I've tasted His love. I've seen His beauty. He's everything to me. And your life is changed, forever changed. In the consciousness of your soul. And everything of this world goes strangely dim. (laughs) This world is not attractive anymore. If someone says to you, oh, well, to be a Christian is a a restrictive life, a narrow life, young people, uh, a sad life, and you can't do this, and you can't do... You say, what?! What? This world is a sad life. This world is a restricted life. It's just little tiny puny me. But when I have Christ, I have the God of the universe as my God. This is a rich life. This is a glorious life. This is a beautiful life. And the Spirit begins to fill us, you see, with the things of Christ. And how glorious, how wonderful. This is. And this is what can kill our lukewarmness and our worldly mindedness and our unbelief and our backslidings and gives us strength to turn away from temptations. And then we want to continue in this, don't we? We want to do verse 42. We want to continue in the apostles' doctrine and in the breaking of bread and in fellowship and prayers. We gladly, verse 41 says, receive the word and we're added To the church, daily, such as should be saved, verse 47. And then we continue in it. And we love to come up to church then, don't we? We love to worship God in His house. We love to open the Bible. We love to, to bend our knees. Now, it doesn't mean that there aren't times of struggle. Doesn't mean that there aren't times of sin. Oh yes, every day. The old man. Don't forget the old nature. But you see, there's a new life. There's a new life. And we know what we've experienced. We know the joy of the Lord. And when we miss that, we grieve. We grieve. So that's what happens when the Spirit fills you. You have a new joy. You have a new sorrow over sin. He's given to you. He regenerates you. He abides with you. He's your life in Christ you have an advocate in heaven pleading your case. You have an advocate in your own soul pleading your case. Jesus Christ, the Spirit of Christ. You have a double advocateship with the Father. And you learn, you learn to rejoice in the Spirit and in the Christ and in the Father. And the triune God becomes precious to you. And you say with Rutherford, I know not which divine person I love the most, but this I know. I love them all and I need each of them. And you're filled up. You're filled up. More and more with these glorious things of salvation in the triune God. Now, you may ask the question, but how? How do I know for sure? There are three things. There there are many more, but I'm going to give you three marks by which you may test. Am I a recipient of the saving work of the Holy Spirit? Three marks that you will always find in the life of a believer. Sometimes, greater measure than others, yes. But every believer can identify with these three things. Number one, the Spirit, when He fills us, convicts us of the heinousness of sin, our sin, and gives us low thoughts of ourselves. Low thoughts of ourselves. You see, when you get saved, some people misunderstand this altogether, and your life and your heart is conquered by Jesus and he becomes everything to you, you actually get lower thoughts of yourself than you ever had before because there's nothing you hate more than sin and you find yourself still sinning and it grieves you. But you sin against the one you love so much. Boys and girls, if you sin, uh, if your dad's driving down the highway and he, a policeman stops him and he did something wrong driving, maybe he was going a little too fast and gives him a ticket. Your dad doesn't say, I'm so sorry, Mr. Policeman, would you please forgive me? I'm so sorry that I've sinned against you. No, because he doesn't have much of a relationship with that policeman. He's probably feeling bad that he got a ticket. But if you sin against your mom, and you love your mom, how do you feel? You feel terrible. I've hurt, I've hurt my mom. Please forgive me, mommy. And so when you're a Christian, you feel so bad. You sin against a God who loves you so much, who's done you so much good. And so you have low thoughts of yourself. I was preaching this week somewhere, and a man came up to me afterward and said, You know, you mentioned about God's people being unworthy, but in our Lord's Supper form, it says they're worthy. And um, how can you be both? How can you be both unworthy and worthy? I said, Well, you can be worthy in Christ. You're received in Christ, so you're worthy. Despite your sin. But you remain unworthy in yourself. Both go together, you see. In true spiritual life. If you're a child of God and you talk about your conversion to someone, you don't boast that you've been delivered from all these sins and make light of your past sins. No, they're like scars on you. You grieve that you've sinned in that way. And though they're forgiven, you don't speak lightly about sin. Sin is what... What cost your master to die for you? So you keep a tender conscience to sin. And you hate sin. And it humbles you. This is what the old Puritans used to call the withering work. We lost that word, unfortunately. The withering work of the Holy Spirit. The work of compunction, they called it. Where he, he, he continues in our life. The more we know of Christ, the more we hate sin. And that withering work just strips us down of all our own righteousness so that more and more and more we learn to say, I am nothing at all, but Jesus Christ is my all and in all. Do you know something of that withering work of the Holy Spirit? You decrease, John the Baptist says, and he increases, happens at the same time. It's like two boys being on the, both ends of a slider, right? One, one, end, one end goes up, the other end goes down. Same time. The more I think of Christ, the less I think of myself. That's what the Holy Spirit does. So part of his filling work is in a sense, if I may say it this way, an emptying work emptiness of self, so that room is made to fill us with the things of Jesus. Now, some of you, some of you, I'm afraid, are still in your natural state of deadness. It's not just that you're backsliding. It's not just that you're giving in to temptation from time to time. It's not just that you, you well, you're desensitizing your conscience but you, you've never known. You've never known what it means to be really emptied of all your own righteousness and to desperately need the righteousness of Christ as your total salvation. Then you're lost. Then you're lost. You need this Holy Spirit. You need to cry out, Spirit of God, come, come Pentecostal Spirit and work that mighty work in me. Show me who I am. Convict me of my sin. Repent. And believe the gospel, as Peter said to the crowd. Well, that's Mark 1. A test, test number 2 is, I hinted at that already, if, if you're being filled with Christ, you will have high thoughts of Jesus. High thoughts of Jesus. You see, the amazing truth about Pentecost is that even on Pentecost, the spotlight of God's Word is not really on the Spirit per se, but it's on Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit is like a, like a floodlight. You know, when someone unveils a statue, for example, there's a floodlight that comes on the statue. So when it's unveiled, you, you gasp at the beauty of that statue. But you see that's what happens in the soul. When Jesus takes the things of Christ and reveals them to us, we 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 suck in our breath with astonishment. He would really he would really do that? He would really suffer and die and rise again and intercede. He would really intercede for me from moment to moment, Hebrews 7:25, to keep me in his ways. This is astonishing. He'd be thinking of me every single moment at the right hand of the Father. What kind of love is this? He would adopt me into the family? He'd be my elder brother and bring me into the family to my God and my Father? This is astonishing. And you have high thoughts of Jesus. (laughs) Well, He just fills your mind. He fills your soul. He fills your love. He fills your life. He's, He's everything to you. That's the Spirit's work. See, then you, you couldn't live a week without Him. You, you can't live without Him. You can't die without Him. You, you can't go forward without Him. You just need Him. You, you, you can't imagine life without Jesus Christ because He's your total salvation. Without Him, you're just a hellbound sinner to come under the wrath of God. He's your total substitute, your Savior, your sanctifier. All and in all, says Paul. That's how you know you're being filled with the Spirit. Your thoughts about yourself are getting lower and lower and lower. You look back at your life five years ago and you say, you know what, I thought more of myself back then than I do now. But I thought less of Jesus back then than I do now. That means you're growing in grace. That means you're being filled with the Holy Spirit. He must increase. I must decrease. Thirdly, there is... This thing, for lack of a better term, I'm just going to call, I'm going to use the words of Jonathan Edwards here, a sense of divine beauty. A sense of divine beauty. Edwards put it this way also, a sense of divine things. Now what did he mean by that? well he meant that when you come to fall out of love with yourself and into love with Jesus that what happens is all your senses get aroused your 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 spiritual taste if i may say it that way your spiritual sight your spiritual touch your your your, your spiritual mind your spiritual thoughts all, all your spiritual will all who you are All gets touched by this sense of divine things. You, you no longer belong to yourself. You belong to the faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. As you get filled by the Spirit, you, 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 you don't see yourself anymore. It's just walking by yourself through life. It's, it's, it's the beauty of God. It fills you. And you want want it to fill you more. You, You say with David, one thing have I desired of the Lord. That will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And behold the beauty of the Lord. He's so beautiful. He's so lovely. He's altogether gracious and glorious to me. Free salvation. Come come and buy without money and without price. Come, come, he says. Come to me just as you are. I will in no wise cast you out. The bride bride says come. The Holy Spirit says come. Let whoever will, let him come and take freely of the water of life. This this fills you. This enamors you. you. You see the graciousness of God. You see the mercy of God. You understand then Thomas Watson when he said mercy is God's familiar work. Justice is his strange work. He said God is like a bee who won't bother you unless it's provoked and then it will sting you. He said that's like justice. When you provoke God, he will sting you. But when you love him, love his mercy, that's his familiar work. That's his character. He loves to love sinners. He loves to save sinners. He's in the business of saving sinners. He can save the greatest of sinners. And that that makes you... It just makes you love him the more, doesn't it? And you have this sense of divine things in you. You... you You want to be thinking about God all the time. But you can't. You've got work to do. But even in your work, there's thoughts of God coming into your mind from time to time. And and, and the more you think of Him, and the more you read of Him in the Word, and the more you meditate on Him, and the more sermons you hear, and, and, and and the more spiritual disciplines you use, and the more good books you read, it's just like Christ becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. God becomes big and man becomes small. This is what Edwards called the sense of divine beauty. Is God beautiful to you? Is His mercy so beautiful to you? Do you love it so much you can't live without it? This is the Holy Spirit filling you with the things of God. And is He so precious to you at times that you just, you just want to be with Him forever? Come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. You're altogether lovely. Oh, help me. Help me to live a Christ-centered life. A Christ-glorifying life. Help me to lay every sin on the altar of sacrifice. Help me to give up every folly Let me take up my cross and follow thee and live for thee completely. Help me to put sin to death that the flesh may be crucified, that the old man may be eradicated, that the new man may grow and develop. Fill me, fill me with thy Holy Spirit. This is conversion. Conviction of sin. Misery. Christ revealed and becoming precious, deliverance. Christ glorified gratitude. Oh God, fill me with a Pentecostal spirit. Let that be your prayer. Amen. Gracious God, please, please work in our souls. And give us small thoughts of ourselves and big and high thoughts of Jesus Christ and through Him of Thee, the Triune God. And help us to be enamored, even obsessed with Thy beauty, Thy glorious beauty in all Thy attributes, harmonized in such a wonderful way through the cross of Calvary. And from the Father's right hand, that we might live for Thee and die in Thee and spend eternity with Thee, Lord Jesus. Oh, we thank Thee for Thy beauty, for Thy salvation, full and free and gracious. What a Savior! Hallelujah! Lord, please work. Please, Spirit of God, Come to every boy and girl in this place, every teenager, every adult, every senior that does not know experientially something of this beauty, something of this emptying, withering work of the Spirit, something of this filling work of Jesus Christ revealing Himself by the Spirit. And do that work, O God. Do that work, and do help thy people to use the means that thou dost normally bless to enlarge this work, so that they may not only be objectively filled, but subjectively filled more and more with the Spirit of God. O God, give us Pentecost experientially. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.